I'm not afraid. Are you? The Watchman Speaks discusses biblical solutions to modern day dilemmas. I'll tell you the truth, even if it's not what you want to hear. I am the old watchman, Ezekiel. I pray you listen. Welcome to The Watchman Speaks. I'm your host, Lonnie Richardson. Today, I'm going to ask a question that may make some just a little bit uncomfortable. The question at hand, why should we as Christians read and study the Bible? The Bible is God's inspired, inerrant, infallible word, and it is the means by which God reveals himself to mankind. It is through the Bible that we know God and come to know his plan and his love for us. By reading and studying the Bible, we are able to circumvent mere religion and come into an intimate relationship with God. To become established in a relationship with God requires that we know God, His redemptive process through His Son, Jesus Christ, and the guidance of the Holy Spirit through Bible study, prayer, and obedience to His Word. This is how relationship is developed. Why should we develop a relationship with God? In today's church, Pastors are often heard shouting, Come to the house of God. For some, it is their hope that the lost sinner will come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. And this is sometimes the case. However, the sad truth is that once the lost sinner is saved, they are dropped like a hot potato. There is no discipleship offered or provided. The newly saved are left to their own means to extract the full gospel from the Bible on their own. And that simply will not do. Some pastors shout, come to the house of God. Why? Because that's where the offering plate is. They're more concerned with your wallet and their bank account than feeding the flock or winning the lost. But Jesus said, go and make disciples. This is the great commission found in the four Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, as well as in the book of Acts. That is the commission of every believer who believes in Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach. Sadly, the Western Church today fails miserably in discipleship of new believers and not-so-new believers. The body of Christ as a whole is grossly negligent in their own discipleship and their preparation to disciple others. Why should we as Christians read and study the Bible? To obtain knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. Therein we become examples of disciples of Christ in our everyday life. That in itself will lead others to make others want to know our Jesus and be saved. They would be discipled to obtain knowledge, understanding, and wisdom so that they may reach out to the lost and disciple the newly won believers. In fact, if you read and study the Bible, you'll find that it's expected of us. I have a hard time understanding why many Christians do not read and study their Bible. No, that's not exactly true. Looking back on my own life, I can understand completely. There was once a time about 30 years ago I didn't read my Bible. I'd pick it up and go to church if I decided to go to church that Sunday. I'd go in, sit down, listen to a pastor give a sermon, go home, place my Bible back in its resting place until the next Sunday or until the next time I decided to go to church. 
from talking with many who profess to be Christians, I guess that this is a current practice that is still doing well today. I'll be truthful and admit this is how I once treated my Bible. If I'm speaking to you because you do the same thing that I once did, just know this. At that time, I didn't understand why I picked up a Bible at all, other than to show others that I owned one. To be honest, I didn't read and study my Bible because I was afraid that I'd have to submit something or someone greater than myself. I hate to be the one to break the bad news to you, but it's a requirement. There's a lot in the Bible that my flesh didn't like. You see, I believed in God, that Jesus was the Son of God who died on the cross for my salvation. But other than that, I couldn't have told you what was in the Bible. I confess that I depended on what Mama, Daddy, my grandparents, or the pastors of various churches that I attended had bottle-fed me over the years. And why shouldn't I trust them? I was certain that they had the best intentions and my well-being in mind. But what's wrong with that? Well, what if Mama, Daddy, Grandma, Grandpa, and Pastor were wrong? I'll pause while you gasp and shudder that I would suggest such a thing. The truth is that no relative or pastor can save you. Salvation is strictly between you and the Lord who spilled his blood for your benefit. But one day something strange happened. I hefted my Bible from its weekly resting place and actually opened it. That was a new concept for me. Then another strange thing happened. I actually began to read it. In doing so, I discovered that much more detail was present than the bits and pieces that I'd been fed over the years. I learned that there was more to Christianity than angelic beings, demons, blood on a cross, hellfire, and damnation. I saw that what my parents, my grandparents, and my pastors had fed me over the years was not entirely wrong, but incomplete. I began to understand that I, as a believer in Jesus Christ, was expected to read and study the Bible. How can I say that? Well, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, Paul writes to Timothy, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. Now, just so that we're clear, this is the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy at the church of Ephesus. Paul tells Timothy to be diligent or to proceed with haste and zeal, to present or offer himself approved to God as a workman, not a pastor, who has no reason to be ashamed because of a lack of knowledge or impure motives or behavior, but as a man who can accurately handle the word of truth in a manner that is reliable and trustworthy. A workman did a job for pay as a pastor does, but workman and pastor are distinctly different words in the Greek language. Question on this particular verse. How does one accurately handle the word of truth if one does not know the word or how it should be handled? Let's continue on a little farther in 2 Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, Paul writes, Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Now let's stop here and think for a few moments. In 2 Timothy 2.15, Timothy is told to be diligent to present himself as a workman with no need to be ashamed and as one who could accurately handle the word of truth. 
Here in 2 Timothy 4.2, Paul begins by telling Timothy, preach the word. Well, what word is Paul telling Timothy to preach? Paul did state in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. Is this the word, the testimony of our Lord, that Paul speaks to Timothy about? I believe so. But notice before I continue the 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, Paul is telling Timothy to preach the word and be ready in season and out of season. What does that mean? It means at a moment's notice. It means when the opportunity presents itself. It means that it is expected or unexpected, be ready. Also notice that Paul tells Timothy to reprove, rebuke, exhort, but patiently with instruction. Just take notice of those three little words. Repuve, rebuke, and exhort. However, I believe Paul has not forgotten the truths contained in the Old Testament. Because Paul tells Timothy in chapter 1, verse 5, For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am sure it is in you as well. Paul could not have been speaking of the testimony of our Lord in this instance, as a matter of excluding the Old Testament in one eight, since here the testimony didn't exist during the grandmother Lois's time. Remember, Second Timothy was written only a little over three decades after the death of Jesus, and all Timothy's grandmother Lois had was the Tanakh, or Old Testament. However, I will tell you that the prophecies of the coming Messiah sprinkled throughout the Old Testament. So Lois's understanding of the testimony of Christ would not have been non-existent. Another reason I believe this to be so is 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now in this instance, 2 Timothy was written while Paul was imprisoned in Rome. His letters or epistles at the time were written were simply letters of correspondence. Second Timothy was written between A.D. 64 and 65 or A.D. 67, depending on who you want to listen to. But the scriptures available at the time that Second Timothy was written was the Hebrew Tanakh or what we call the Old Testament. The New Testament and the closing of the biblical canon did not come about until the 5th century. Paul would not have been so bold, proud, or arrogant to consider his writing of a letter of Scripture at the time. How do I know that? Because I spent a great deal of studying, not only the Bible, but Jewish history and culture as well. Let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16 and 17 more closely. All Scripture, that includes the Old Testament, is useful for teaching. Teaching what? In order to find out what's being taught, we must read and study. Let's read on and see what it is that we may be taught. For rebuking, correcting. Well, for what will we be rebuked? And for what will we be corrected? We need to read, study, and find out. And training in righteousness. Wow. Now there's a mouthful. Training in righteousness? Really? In the Old Testament. Our righteousness is in the blood of Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach. That's right, it is, and in no way does righteousness come by the law. 
Galatians chapter 2, verse 21 states, I do not nullify the grace of God, for the righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. Now, I stand by that 100%. Question, what is righteousness? Righteousness is an ancient legal term meaning to be put in right standing before a judge. That's what it means. We're all put in right standing before God by the blood of Jesus. No ifs, no ands, no buts, no maybes. Look at what Paul has said about training in righteousness. What is training in righteousness? It's discipleship. You must become a disciple before you can disciple others. How do you do that? You read and study the Bible. What is discipleship for? So that the servant of God may be equipped for every good work. That's discipleship. Reason number one for studying the Bible, become a disciple of Christ to receive training in righteousness so that you can obtain knowledge, understanding, wisdom, surpassing religion, and develop a relationship with God the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. Reason number two for reading and studying the Bible, to disciple others and lead them on their journey. Now, reason number three I have not discussed yet, but it is important that the first two reasons are noted and acted upon because this third reason is where the rubber meets the road. Here's where the Christian goes to the front lines of battle. This is where the Christian learns to defend his or her faith. It's called apologetics. Can you defend your faith, your hope, your beliefs, when you're questioned about them? Suppose some group leading a sinful lifestyle comes and tells you that their lifestyle is approved and fully sanctioned in the Word of God. Would you be able to respond to that? Could you respond to that? And if so, how would you respond? Be assured that if you disagree in any way, that you'll be met with an onslaught of speech that could turn vulgar or violent, and that you'll probably be labeled as hating your neighbor, homophobic, transphobic, intolerant, mean, hateful, and a host of other names. Can you stand the heat? Would you react with love and kindness or frustration and anger? Or would you tuck your tail and run in silence? Or would you agree with them? Now, I'm not going into detail about all that just yet. That'll come in later episodes in future weeks. However, I'll tell you that it is common practice to take objective truths in Scripture that were written with objective intent and in objective context and make those truths subjective to conform to a person's personal reality, rhetoric, and narrative. Instead of conforming to the truths of the Bible, it is attempted to make the Bible conform to how they feel. That is not acceptable. Remember 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Says, Be diligent and present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. We are workmen who do not need to be ashamed of the truth, and we should be able to accurately handle the word of truth. We should be diligent to present ourselves approved to God, not man. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says, but sanctified Christ is Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. We should be ready always to make a defense to everyone who asks us to give an account for the hope that is in us.
That means we do not conform to the world, but hold fast to the Scripture. When we are confronted, however, we do so with gentleness and reverence. That's gentleness to the person that we're speaking to and reverence to God in His Holy Word. You cannot allow yourself to be shaken by threats or name-calling. You must not react with frustration and anger. You present the Scripture and what they mean. I cannot tell you how many times I have been accused of dehumanizing someone or hating someone simply because I disagreed with them. In fact, all I have ever done is to take a stance and say, that is sin. I do not condemn anyone to hell. I did not judge anyone. I merely call sin what it is, sin. When I rebut the twisted interpretations of Scripture, and identify the understanding of those scriptures as subjective. The howls of protest would raise the roof. I, however, would stand unfazed. But let's just say that you meet someone down on their luck, who doesn't know the Lord, who's never been exposed to any religious training, and you want to share the gospel with them. Could you? Would you? I know several who have been radically saved, freed from addiction and sins, unmentionable, who cannot wait to get out into the streets and tell everyone what Jesus has done for them. I'm talking about men and women who are on fire for Jesus. They have a testimony and a testimony that's powerful, and I would not quench their zeal for anything. They go out into public, into places most people, saved or not, wouldn't go to reach the lost. They are fearless. There's just one problem. They know the hellhole that Jesus reached down and pulled them out of, but their knowledge and understanding of Scripture has not matured. They lack wisdom in many aspects of the faith. But God uses such people. Very few of these people that I know personally attend any one church. They go everywhere and they listen to everybody. They are hungry for the Word of God. But none of them have been discipled because they are considered to be too radical by mainstream Christianity. That's sad. And even more sad to watch time and time again. Someone go into a church, declare Jesus as their Lord and Savior, and no one will step forward to help disciple them in their training in righteousness. All too often they are left alone to figure things out for themselves. And why? because that's how it's been done for the last three generations that I know of. There needs to be a change. Men and women of God need to step up and make themselves available to help these new believers develop and manifest the fruitful lives God intended them to have. I have failed in the past. Chances are, you have too. If you think that you know what you believe, but you cannot go to chapter and verse in the Scripture to defend your beliefs, I don't see that you've been discipled or that you can effectively disciple others. If you cannot defend your beliefs to the unbeliever, you're not a disciple and you cannot disciple others effectively. How can you claim to have a relationship with God the Father, Son Jesus, or Holy Spirit if you do not know what is in the Bible? By simply knowing the answers to all the questions is not enough either. Do you believe? Do you have the faith? Do you trust God in all things in every situation and circumstance? What do I mean on that? Let's look at Romans chapter 10, verses 16 through 21. 
Paul writes, However, they did not all give heed to the good news, for Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed our report? Verse 17. So faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Verse 18. But I say, surely they have never heard, have they? Oh, indeed they have. Their voice has gone out into all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. But I say, surely Israel did not know, did they? First Moses said, I will make you jealous by that which is not a nation. By a nation without understanding, I will anger you. And verse 20, Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I became manifest to those who did not ask for me. In verse 21, but as for Israel, he says, all the day long, I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Do you know the word of God? In his letter to Romans, the Gentiles and the Jews, Paul is preaching the word testimony of our Lord. Notice, however, that in the passage there are six verses. In Romans 10, 16 through 21, six verses. Hmm. Notice that in five verses, Paul quotes the Old Testament in verses 16, 18, 19, 20, and 21. Those are texts concerning knowing God's Word. Why? Because therein also lies training in righteousness. Righteousness that has been acquired by the blood of Christ that was foretold in the Old Testament. Therein I can conclude the third reason for reading and studying the Bible is to be able to defend your faith. Be able to declare and defend your faith to a lost and dying world and then to disciple them. I am the old watchman, Ezekiel, and you have been lovingly warned. Well, that's all for now. I thank you for your time and participation. Our time together is precious to me. Please, come and visit me at theoldwatchman.com for show notes, articles, video content, book reviews, Bible study material reviews, and Bible study methods. It's my hope and prayer that you get to know me through this podcast. Through the website at theoldwatchman.com, I can get to know you. If you like the content, consider following The Old Watchman on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. See you next time. May nothing in your life be missing. Nothing in your life be broken. Shalom.